0: Good morning and welcome to our Daily Word and Prayer. This is a Saturday morning, November 20th. My name is Tom Short. So glad to have you along. We've been talking the last couple weeks about Catholic doctrine and we get in the Word of God here every morning. I wish I had more of the word to get into this morning because what we want to talk about today, there's very little verses on it. We will have some, but there's very little verses because we want to talk about Mary some more today. I asked I've asked this week if there's questions I've not addressed that you'd like me to talk about to send them to me and some of the questions relate to Mary and that's all we're going to have time today. Tomorrow I hope to get into some questions about how the scriptures were selected and what's known as the Apocrypha and how the Catholics have uh, several books more in, the, in their Bible and their canon than Protestants do and we'll talk about that hopefully tomorrow like to talk about mary and four aspects of the veneration of mary that are concerning and that aren't in the bible and we wonder where did they come from and what do they mean and are they even idolatrous catholics make it clear they don't worship mary they venerate her from my perspective to be honest i find it difficult to tell the difference it seems like you're just splitting hairs on how you exalt her lift her up and so forth We talked the other day, we talked actually about two weeks ago, about how Catholics will pray to Mary, and how wrong this is, and how it violates scriptural principles and ideas. For Mary to hear all these prayers of people, she'd have to be omniscient. She'd have to have the qualities of God to be able to hear, you know, thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of people praying to her every day. How's this possible? She's, nowhere in the Bible do we see anyone praying to someone who's already passed, But there's other doctrines we'll talk about today that kind of cause them to get to this point or allow them to get to this point. So we're going to talk today about four or five aspects of Mary that we we want to look at. Number one is what's known as the Immaculate Conception. The Immaculate Conception. What's that? I used to think that that, you know, I was not raised Catholic, so I assumed that meant, you know, that sounded like Jesus, his, his birth, but it's not what it means. The Immaculate Conception means that somehow Mary was conceived without sin, without original sin, without, without any uh, sin nature that she received as being a child, a descendant of Adam. We all are born with a tendency, a sin nature, a tendency to sin. It's part of who we are. It's part of our makeup as a descendant of Adam. Jesus was not. He had no earthly father. He was conceived as we know, of a virgin, of the Virgin Mary. He was conceived. He had no earthly uh, biological father. He did not have this sin nature uh, that he received. But the Catholics believe that even though Mary was conceived in a normal fashion, in other words, she had a biological mother and father, that somehow God intervened and she had no sin nature and that she never sinned. That's what Catholics believe is Mary never sinned her entire life. And that this was the and so again, is this true? Is this accurate? Can't be. Scripture says all have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God, with one exception Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was told to be the spotless Lamb of God, tempted in all things, we read in the book of Hebrews, tempted in all things, yet without sin. Why? Because he was the one who would die for our sins. And so he's the only sinless person to ever be. Mary, did you know Mary, when she prayed and when she visited with Elizabeth and she praised God, Matthew, or excuse me, Luke 1, verse 47, she prays and she exalts God and she says this, And Mary said, my soul exalts the Lord. My spirit rejoices, has rejoiced in God, my Savior. Yes, Jesus is our Savior. She needed one as well because she was not sinless. She was just like us. Now, I might add, I don't want to be seen as as Protestants. We don't want to, you know, knock Mary down and not honor her. She was indeed chosen by God to be the one who brought the Messiah, into the world. She was a wonderful person. I'm sure she was a godly woman. I'm, I'm sure of that. But we don't want to also exalt her beyond what she deserves and lift her up and to the place of idolatry. And so this idea was, well, did she sin? All have sinned. All need a Savior, including Mary. Number two is what's known as the per- perpetual virginity. By the way, the Immaculate Conception, I don't know if you realize this. Let me step back one minute. The Immaculate Conception did not become part of Catholic dogma until 1854. And so there may have been believed by some people, but it was not declared part of their doctrine until 1854. There's a second one there that that actually became doctrine of theirs in the seventh century, and that was the perpetual virginity of Mary. And it's the idea that Mary not only was a virgin at the time of the birth of Jesus, but that she also remained a virgin for her entire life. I assume this has something to do with a maybe a, a wrong view of sex being sinful and that sex within marriage was not even, even within marriage was maybe a necessary evil rather than a a good God-blessed, God, God-honoring thing. So I don't know exactly. I assume that's part of what was involved there. But Mary did. She was she, she did have sexual relations. It says that in Matthew, it says that Joseph kept her a virgin until the child was born. Kept her a virgin until, not forever, but until the child was born. And we read in other places, in Matthew and John both, that Jesus had brothers and sisters. Now Catholics would want to say, no, those were just his cousins. But that doesn't make sense. It speaks of there was Mary and his brothers and his sisters. And, and um, I don't know, you know, speaking of his family, to me, I read the context, it just seems like they're, they're, they're having to stretch it and impose a view on Scripture that's not there. The third doctrine we want to look at briefly today is called the Assumption of Mary. In this doctrine, this became Catholic doctrine in 1950, only about 70 years ago, 1950, and that was the belief that Mary was... Basically, taken up into heaven. Now, most people believe that she did die and what was then assumed up into heaven, shall we say, resurrected bodily, unlike others who will be taken up into heaven when Christ comes back at the second coming, that Mary was taken up spiritually and bodily into heaven, which is why she can now receive our prayers, hear our prayers, and so on. Once again, putting her in a place unlike any other person, and in a place that the Bible doesn't put her. The Bible never teaches any of these things. The Bible doesn't teach that she is a perpetual virgin. It's just just the opposite. It implies just the opposite. It doesn't say she was born without a sin nature. It implies everybody is. The Bible doesn't say she was assumed. As a matter of fact, just totally, completely silent on that. And finally, and this is the one I'd like to look at a little bit more today, and that is the term to call Mary the mother of God. I don't know, that always just bothers me to call her the mother of God. The implication is that somehow she was the originator of God or God came from her. Now, of course, Catholics will say that Jesus is God, is true, and Mary is the mother of Jesus, true, therefore, mother, Mary is the mother of God. And although true, the implications of it are significant or the implications that we don't want to understand that she's not the mother of the Trinity. She's not the, usually when we speak of God, although Jesus is God, but usually when we ter- use the term just of God, we're referring more to the Father or maybe the Trinity. Usually with Jesus, we refer to him usually as the Son of God, although he is, you know, I'm not this about the Trinity this morning, but he is God. But the implications of it it's not too hard it's not a stretch to think are you saying mary is the mother of the trinity that mary is the mother of of god the father who what are you really saying here the term comes from the council of ephesus in 431 a.d and what was happening there was a a heresy that taught that jesus was actually two persons when they took discussing the incarnation there was a jesus God, the divine Jesus, and the human Jesus, two different persons that actually inhabited the same body when walking on earth. And the Council of Ephesus came together and addressed this heresy, that Jesus is not two different persons. There's one Jesus, fully God, fully man. And they they used the term Theotokos, and Theotokos literally means the God-bearer. And and, from the, and they said Mary in her womb bore God during that time, which would be accurate. But from there came the idea, after that, people began to refer to her, this was not part of the council, but the others began to talk to her as the mother of God. And again, I just don't, I, I, I just think this, if you're going to use that term, you need to explain it very, very clearly because she's not the mother of the Father, she's not the mother of the Trinity, she is the mother of Jesus Christ, who was fully God and fully man, Jesus did not derive his divinity from Mary, she did not, he he was the, Jesus pre-existed Mary, the Christ, the Son of God, the second person, of the Trinity, pre-existed Mary, he is eternal, Mary is not, she housed him when he became a human being, but he did not derive his identity, his being, his divinity from her. And this is where to to use that term, mother of God, can certainly lead, lead to the wrong implication or wrong understanding. And it wouldn't be a stretch for someone to reach those conclusions. And therefore, if you're going to use that, you must be very, very clear with this, you know, Mary is called in, uh, by by many the queen of heaven. Again, as if she is the queen because she's the mother, Jesus the king and she's the mother of the king and therefore she is entitled to be called the queen. Again, this is not an accurate phrase. The only the only time this term the queen of heaven is used in the Bible is in John, or excuse me, in Jeremiah chapter 7 and Jeremiah chapter 44. And there it's not used in a good way. It's used of the Ashtaroth, Who was the uh, uh, who who was the uh, I believe is the asteroid? Excuse me. Who was the uh, wife of Baal, and it was idolatrous, and it was wicked, and it was evil, and God judged him. Be careful about using this term, the Queen of Heaven. You know the bottom line with Mary. The last time we see her, she was praying with the church in Acts chapter one. They weren't praying to her; she's praying with them. And then she never appears again in the book of Acts. She never appears in any of the epistles. I just like to suggest that if Mary really was that significant of a person, that that she would have had such they would have referred to her, they would have talked to her, they would have given her a place in uh, the doctrines that were laid out in the epistles. Of course, we read in instead, we read such things as First Timothy chapter two, verse five, that there's one God. And one mediator between God and men—it is the man Jesus Christ. It's not Mary; she's not her mediator. She's not her mediator. What many are calling the the mediatrix or the co-redemptrix—that she has a part to play in our salvation. She has a part to play in our being our redeemer. That—that many Catholics would believe that you must speak to Mary, who will speak to Jesus, who will intercede on the part with the father who will redeem us in the father and she's a co-redeemer. That's idolatry, my friends. That's wrong. That's false doctrine. In Luke chapter 11 verse 47, one of the last one of the important verse that we can't overlook. Jesus was teaching and people said, "Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast that nursed you." And Jesus' response was not, "Yes," yes, venerate my mother forever. That's not what he said. He said, rather, on the contrary, on the contrary, blessed are those who hear the word of God and do it. Once again, I want to say in this whole big Catholic Protestant conflict, is our authority the word of God or is our authority the tradition of the church? We talked earlier this week about how the the traditions of the church have often usurped the actual teaching of the word of God and indeed all these traditions that mary a virgin immaculate conception never sinned taken straight up into heaven uh, intercedes for us prays for us um, that she's the mother of God all of these things that have been added in centuries later they contradict they go against the spirit the tenor and the law of the new testament we want to be careful that our focus is on Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit came, we read in John, to glorify Jesus, and this is where our focus needs to be. You know, I when I go to Washington D.C. and take my interns there each year, we, we will often visit the Catholic Church that at Catholic University, the the national uh, national shrine, National Catholic Church there in in um, at Catholic University's beautiful facility some amazing art, priceless art. It's, it's worth seeing, but it is also troubling because it really is a church to Mary. And so often you, you see, you really see more art about Mary there than you do Jesus. And often Jesus is being held as a baby by Mary or, or even the, the, uh, at his death as she's holding him and some of the prayers to Mary that we see in the church, some of the things you read, it's, it's like, this is not right. This is not right. Again, I want to challenge Catholics. If you're a Catholic today, I want to challenge you to do two things. One, number one, read the Bible to see what they believe that you ought to believe. But secondly, read the scriptures to see, are there things that you believe are really important that aren't in the Bible? And if, and if they aren't in the Bible, should they be important? if they weren't important to Peter or Paul or the early Christians or Jesus, should it be important to you? If the church says it's important, but the Bible doesn't, the Bible ignores it, doesn't even talk about it, should it be significant in your life? I want to encourage you, be followers of the scripture. Sometimes we can be so immersed in something like a fish in the water, doesn't realize it's in the water, we can be so immersed in ideas, in a paradigm, we don't understand how far away we've drifted from what the Bible teaches. And if you're Catholic and watching this today, we, don't, we I love you guys. We are I, I, So many things we are grateful to the Catholic Church, how they preserved the Scripture through the years, how they gave us the Scripture, how they helped us in so many early things. And indeed today, I'm grateful for uh, some of the things that concern me in our culture, the pro-life movement, the protecting the family, and so on. How uh, how many Catholics are I, I feel united with them on some of the, on the cultural war? So we we don't want to be conceived as or perceived as anti-Catholic or hateful in any way. We invite you to be people who get into the Scripture, read it carefully, follow what it says, because we love you. We love you, and and we invite you to. Really dig into the Word of God and to be pleasing to God. Pleasing to God. This comes down once again to authority. Are you going to do what the church tells you or what the Bible tells you? And if there is a conflict, which one will you go with? I go with the Bible. I hope you will too. Father in heaven, we thank you today for our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And Jesus, we worship you as such. There's none like you, and we, we resist any effort to lift up anyone as your equal, anyone as, as, as a mediator between you and us, because there's only one mediator between us and God, and that's Jesus. That's you. We confess that you're our Savior. You're the one who gave your life for us. We don't have to pray to someone else, a saint or Mary. You hear our prayers, you said we can come to you. You said, and, and Father, you hear our prayers. We don't need to have other intermediaries. You, Jesus, you said we can come to the Father in your name, and we bless you. We thank you, Jesus, that you are the Savior of mankind. We thank you for, I'm sure, sure Lord, that you, you had forgiven and saved even Mary, your earthly mother, and for this, your great God. We love you. Father, help us to have true doctrine, help every one of us here to know how to contend for the faith in a, in a way that's gracious and winsome, help us Lord, to, it, truth matters, your word matters, what we believe matters, help us Father to know how to stand on what's true, help us to rightly divide the word of truth, help us to dig into the scripture and know what it really says and be able to embrace it for ourselves and talk with others about it. We pray, Father, for any ways that any of us have deviated from Scripture, that we're off track. Oh, God, open our eyes. Give us the humility to turn to you with all of our heart and embrace what you teach, no matter the cost, even if people might misunderstand us or reject us. Or, or Lord, and I pray this particularly for my Catholic friends. I pray, Father, that you'd help them dig into the Scripture, and stand on what it says, no matter what the cost, with their family, with their church. Because ultimately, Jesus, it's you we want to please. Ultimately, Father, it's you whose approval we seek. And so we pray and bless you today. Worship you with all of our heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, and amen. Hey, thanks for being with me today. We get here every day, and, and usually we've gotten on this series here, and we're talking about some areas of correcting False doctrine. But just to let you know, usually here we're every day with an uplifting, inspiring message. We do get we do come together each morning, eight thirty AM live, but you can also listen anytime throughout the day. You can listen to past messages. You can go back on my on my page here, my YouTube page, hear message where I've talked about overcoming discouragement, talked about how to get into the Bible. Uh, we've looked at we've studied the book of First Peter, which, you know, early in the in the year. We just look at all kinds of things. We've talked about how to handle objections. But most of all, I just want you to be encouraged and built up in the Word of God, standing on the truth of God's Word, allowing it to penetrate into your heart and soul, your innermost being, so it affects not only what we believe in our head, but what we truly value in our heart. So I hope you join me day in and day out. We'll be here again tomorrow, where I hope to talk tomorrow about the Apocrypha and how we selected the books in the Bible we've got. I hope that will be where we'll be tomorrow, and uh, I hope you're with me every day. God bless you. Love you guys. Make sure and subscribe. Make sure and tell your friends. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye.